yeah, there's some sad, sad stuff going on, but to me, like hearing a lot of those stories, I just hear opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. So there's Alan with the, uh, the guys up at Teen Challenge. There's different things happening around the place in people's families, like Luke and whatever his name was. Um, and then even hearing about Steve with his workmate or kind of boss's son, workmate-ish, whatever that relationship is. Um, yeah, Liam, that's a massive opportunity. I know it's not easy to think of it that way, but it's really cool because the fact that Steve actually cares enough to go, I want to have a chat with him and see what's going on there, where that's coming from, proves that he is what my sermon's all about today. He's an alien. Steve's an alien. Um, it's cool. We all are, or most of us that are here at least, anyway. So that's the title of my message this morning. It's installment number four in Imago Day Identity series, and it's called You Are an Alien. So... Before I get into that, I quickly want to define what I mean by alien. <laughs> so from the dictionary, um, an alien has a whole bunch of meanings, but one of them is someone who is foreign, a stranger, is not part of uh, the normal culture and uh, race, if you like, of the people that live in an area. Um, it also can mean someone from outer space, which is kind of cool considering where our ultimate home is. Um, but yeah, so you are an alien. Uh, my main text this morning will be from 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, that'll be the main text. Uh, we'll be jumping around because I've sprinkled scriptures all through this like salt and pepper. So hopefully that goes down well. So don't try and follow me. I'll just say all the scriptures, but stick with me in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'll just pray before we start. Dear Lord and Holy Father, I just want to thank you so much for the privilege of being here today and, and speaking your word to your people. I praise you for all of the, uh, the opportunities that have been shared and also all of the needs um, that we're asking you to, to step into and um, to do what is needed, whether it's healing or conviction or encouragement or release from stress and pain. Father, we believe you have all the resources in the universe since you created them all. So whatever we need you to do, Lord, uh, whatever you need to do to glorify yourself in each of these situations, please do it and do it again this morning in each of us here. For me as I speak, and for your people as they hear what I have to say, don't allow me to say anything that isn't coming from you. Amen. Okay, so you all know me. Questions. Questions are good. Interaction is good. Keeps you awake. So where is the place or people group or whatever, where do you feel like you most belong? Maybe it's where you grew up. Maybe it's the place you call home. Where is the place you feel you belong? Tell me. No wrong answers. <laughs> With my family. That's what I would have said. Cool. Anybody else? With my Christian family. With my Christian family. Let's see how many adjectives we can get before family. <laughs> Does anyone have a place that they go to where they just feel at peace, calm, connected to God? Ben. Beach. Ben. <laughs> Beach. Yep. Both, both good options. Shed for Ben. Well, there's been enough prayers said there. It ought to feel like it's close to God. Um, what else? Up at Teen Challenge in the mountains. Sorry? Nature. Yep. For me, it's out in the bush, alone, on the side of a mountain. That's where I feel most connected to God, and that's where I feel like I belong, because it's just me and him, and it's cool. There's no one else to distract me. Um, but I like, I like questions, as you know. And I just wanted to use that to sort of set the scene a bit for the whole idea that you are an alien. I don't actually have a place, sort of similar to Ruth, 
uh, the place I feel like I most belong is with my family. But where I feel most connected to God is by myself with God out on the side of a mountain. So for a quick recap on the identity series so far. First, we had Ben laid the foundation for who we are. We are the Imago Dei, the image of God, and why our identity and who we are is actually important. So why we're even doing this series. Then Adrian took us to um, looking at more of how how our identity is so much more than any one aspect of our nature, and he focused in really hard on our sexuality to show us that we're not our own, we don't need to bow to the pressures of the world or the people around us, and we belong to God, we're not our own. And last week, Ben took us through Romans 6 to show us our identity is not tied to our old, dead, sinful self, but we've been brought back from that slavery with an incredible price, the very life of Jesus Christ himself. So that's really cool. I hadn't actually been able to hear either of those, except for the first one, either the second and third, in church because I was away for Adrian's sermon and I was in Crash last week, so I didn't hear anything Ben had to say. Um, so I listened to them both online this week um, and I listened to the first one again just to make sure I had the continuity going as I put this one together. And to be honest, I was blown away by the concepts that the guys have been exploring so far uh, the way they've put it together, the passion they've poured into it. Have a listen to them sometimes. Just lay in bed with your iPod or whatever and listen to Adrian as he's talking about sex. I could just picture him sweating profusely as he uh, <laughs> gave us all sorts of pictures about um, how God made it amazing and pleaded with us to give up the disgusting old ways that we might be tempted to have. I had... Uh, I could almost see Ben floating around, tripping over things and waving his arms as he tried to create a flywheel for us um, as an example for how fast our sinful nature spins and how hard it is to stop it. And both times, more than imagining what they looked like as they were doing it and how silly I must look, when I do mine, I was wowed both times as both of these guys brought us back to Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour, our King. And I just had to say, what a Saviour, at the end of both messages. So I'm really appreciating the Imago Day series so far. And this one, this, this message, You're an Alien, we didn't actually include in the start. I specifically asked, can we put this one in? <laughs> and so they said, sure, you can preach it, which is fair enough. Um, so come with me into the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 25. As I said, we'll be staying in this chapter most of the day. I don't actually know how long this is. I'm aiming for 40 minutes, so we'll see how we go. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 25. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ 
in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have been told you, now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached to you. So, a fairly long passage and not really all that clear about how it's related um, to being an alien, I guess. I mean, there's the thing about being a foreigner in there. And going back to my definition, an alien, uh, the original definition of it was that someone's a foreigner, someone who's not a naturalized citizen, um, in the country where they are living. Um, but it was also used of an enemy, somebody who was different from the norm of the area, perceived as strange, unusual, potentially even hostile. Um, and also, obviously, it's a hypothetical or fictional being from another world. The first point I want to make about being an alien is one that you should be fairly familiar with. As a Christian, you do not belong here. You're an alien in this world. It's not your home. You don't belong here. To go back to Ben's message for a second, we saw how all mankind, the first message, uh, all mankind is the Imago Dei. We're all made in the image of God, created for him, by him, and with the purpose of joining him in the fellowship and stewardship of his creation. That same message, we saw the first consequence of sin, which was separation from God. The creation was forever broken, marred, and scarred. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, forced to survive in the much harsher environment outside. Um... The world began to hate them because of the curse. Animals grew to fear them. The ground grew weeds and thorns to afflict them. After a long, hard day's work, with not much return, how much must they have regretted their choice and longed for Eden, where the food was free and easy? Throughout the story of the nation of Israel, God calls his own people and makes them aliens to those around them. He calls them to a higher way of living. Abraham was called to leave his own land, literally, and go live among a people foreign to him. And he did so in obedience to God. Moses said that he had been a stranger in a strange land. Throughout their history, uh, and when they're in exile especially, the Jews were mocked and persecuted for their stubborn belief in Yahweh as the one true Lord and God. God's been setting up this idea of an alien people right from the beginning. As soon as sin happened, he knew that there would be some 
that would be able to, that he would call to respond to him and would do so and they would be alien to everybody else that did not respond to him. Then came Jesus, the ultimate alien, God walking around in human flesh, defying the curse by raising the dead and healing the sick, defying physics by multiplying food and walking on water, and defying the impulses and desires of the body by never giving in to sin, and defying the social and political pressure of the day by teaching of a new kingdom, one not of this world. So Peter picks up on this teaching from Jesus in our passage in verse 3, where he says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. We're born into this world, and by being born, we automatically become citizens of the curse, citizens of sin, citizens of the broken, scarred, wrecked world that we live in today. Um, This world is apart from God, um, and just being born into it sets in motion that great big flywheel of sinful nature that Ben was describing last week, one that's so hard to stop. But when we surrender to Christ, God, in his great mercy, gives us a new birth. We are born again, literally, into a new citizenship, that's what the whole born-again believer thing's about. We're not under the old birth anymore. Like Ben said last week, the old dead sinful corpse guy is still around, hanging on and trying to influence you, but you've been born again into a new citizenship, the citizenship of heaven that can never perish, spoil or fade. At that point, when that happens to you, when you accept Christ as your saviour, you swear allegiance to a new kingdom, a new world. You become a citizen of a different place. Um, That happened to me, and that makes me an alien. I now live by a different set of values. Let me tell you a story. Uh, Two years ago, I was in Turkey for a conference. I know I've talked about Turkey a few times, but it's the only place I've ever been overseas except New Zealand, and we all know that doesn't count. (laughs) Sorry, Ruth. (laughs) Um, The first five days of the trip, I was at a conference, staying at a five-star hotel on the Mediterranean Sea, and it was fantastic. There's great teaching for the Word of God. There's fellowship with Christians from all over the world, working through different problems of doing ministry with uni students together, wondering how we cope with different problems. And it was quite surreal because with the mountains of Turkish food available for every, mo- every meal, being called sir or madam if you're a woman, um, by these, these Turkish waiters, the warm Mediterranean Sea inviting us every afternoon to go for a dip, you could be forgiven for thinking it was a taste of heaven. It's pretty amazing. Um, I was one of only three Aussies at this conference, and after it ended, I had the chance to do a couple of days of sightseeing before I came home. And up until then, I hadn't felt lonely or awkward or anything, because there were a couple of Aussies with me, so I could always sort of hang with them. But also, everybody else at the conference was a Christian. They all identified as citizens of heaven, and the fellowship was amazing once we got over the language barriers. Um, But now conference was done, everyone was going home, and I was alone. I wandered through downtown Antalya, looking at the markets and hearing the Muslim call to prayer, looking around, seeing everyone wearing Middle Eastern clothing. I was dressed pretty much like this. And they're all a fairly dark skin that can handle the sun, and I was glowing from being out for five minutes. With my bright hair and pale skin, I stood out like a sore thumb. And they noticed. The shopkeepers came out and literally tried to grab me and pull me in, showing me their words. Others would shout at me in words I didn't understand. I didn't know whether they were angry with me or just wanted me to come and buy something, because I didn't know much Turkish. Um, It set in just how alone I was. My phone wasn't unlocked for international roaming. 
first time overseas, didn't know what to do. So I couldn't call anybody. I was basically using my phone as a glorified GPS. And it began to set in as I looked around and I was a bit lost. I was downtown. I knew the Mediterranean's that way, so that's south. And my hotel's north. That's about it. I had no idea other than that. All the signs are in Turkish or Arabic. So I was thinking, oh dear. This is what it feels like to be an alien. Totally foreign. I wasn't afraid because I knew that somebody would take pity on me and help me out. But it was pretty lonely. It was pretty scary knowing that I didn't understand anything around me. I didn't fit in. I didn't belong there. And that is what God calls us to be in this world. When you surrender to Jesus, you become a citizen of heaven. You belong to Christ. And everything in this world should become more and more foreign to you. You don't speak the language anymore. You're learning a new one. You don't care about the things that they care about anymore, or at least not as much. All the things the world values, greed, power, prestige, sexy body, whatever, doesn't matter to you anymore because Christ and the surpassing love that he has for you becomes all that you care about. The only thing from this world that will make it into his kingdom is you, the people, the aliens, the believers, those who are not of this world. So not just Peter, but the other apostles and Jesus himself many times warned us to hold things of this world lightly. Um, I'll have to go to John first. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, all that stuff Adrian talked about in the sexy sermon, the lust of the eyes, all the things you desire, whatever you see, oh, I want that, or oh, he's got that, or how come Nicole always has the best Instagram pics of food? My goodness, I just eat sandwiches. And the pride of life comes, yes, gluten-free sandwiches. The lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Sin has ruined this world. Humanity has fallen so far from God's plan that they didn't even recognize the Lord when he came and walked among them. He came on a rescue mission. He came to call people to a higher cause, a new kingdom, and he taught that we must forsake the world if we're going to gain the new one. Matthew 6, Jesus himself said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So hold the things of this world lightly. I'm not saying you should be flippant to just don't care about everything. Jesus also taught us to be good stewards of what we have here. But we're to do that for the purpose of furthering his cause, building his kingdom, glorifying his name in the way that we operate, in the way we handle the things he gives us. We're not supposed to pursue it at all cost. That's what the world does. And he just said, forsake the things of the world. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this extends to everything. Your job, your academic learning, your wealth, your prestige, your power, your friendship circle, your persona that you build, that you want people to see of you. Raji likes to be known as the cranky die that doesn't like people. Whether or not that's really true deep down, <laughs> only a few of you would know. But um, the, way, the kind of persona or personality that you build for yourself um, that actually will all be gone. It's all going to pass away. Nothing of this life lasts except the things of Christ. 
And so Paul calls us to become fools for the sake of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 20, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools by the standards so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. You're an alien. You don't belong here. You can't take any of this stuff with you. So hold it lightly. Let it go easily. Don't let it be what drives your life. Get off the flywheel. You must live as one. You're an alien. You're a stranger. Just passing through on your way home. Your key task is to represent your country while you're here. Okay? Um, the second part, part two. So that was the first I was just building the idea that we're an alien. Now, something pretty hard comes up next. And this is right through the New Testament, but Peter pulls it out pretty clearly here. And this is the idea that suffering is actually good for us. I call this a good theology of suffering. Suffering is good for us and good for the world if it's in the name of Christ. I'm not saying that we should be thankful for every bad thing that ever happens to us. I'm actually not thankful that Naomi has Down syndrome. I'm not thankful that Naomi has epilepsy. Those are results of the curse of sin. All those things that happen to us naturally, if you like, um, are because we live in a broken world, a ruined world. But suffering for the cause of Christ in his name is good for us and good for the world. And I'll show you how. Back in 1 Peter, start at verse 6. We read this before. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This harks back to Revelation where God, through Jesus, tell, told the church at Smyrna, don't worry, be faithful, I'm coming for you. And it was like, how could he say that? They're being killed for their faith. This is why. Suffering for Christ is good for us. How much do we humans love comfort? And we shun suffering, we run away from it. The instant we hear of someone going through a hard time, okay, I won't say we, I'll say me, just so it's really clear. The instant I hear of someone going through a hard time, like we heard some before, or dealing with grief or pain or loss, I have two responses. First, I feel sorry for them, and I want to pray for them, see if there's something I can do to help. Second, I'm pretty thankful it's not me. I'm like, poor buggers, sucks to be them. So that's a fairly human attitude. It's not a very alien attitude. We see suffering and hardship as something to be avoided at all cost and to deal with as quickly as possible. That's not the attitude of a citizen of heaven. That's the old dead sin nature that clings to the things of this world and wants an easy ride right here, right now. That's not the attitude we see, for Peter himself expresses. I'm going to take you back to Acts in a second, but first a few more things. Peter expects Christians to rejoice, even though they had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. He gives these trials a mere thought, oh, it's just for a little while, because in comparison to eternity, the fiercest suffering here is just a blip on the radar. What makes that suffering worthwhile is if it's for the name of Christ. So the first thing that suffering for the name of Christ does is it proves our faith is genuine. See that in verse 7. 
These have come so the proven genuineness of your faith, skip the next bit, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Suffering for Christ and being faithful through it proves your faith is genuine. Do you remember the parable Jesus told of the seed and the seeds that fell on the rocky ground? They sprang up almost straight away. But then when the sun came out and it was blazing hot and there was no water, they wilted and died because they had no root. The first sign of trouble, they folded. Um, we are aliens. We do not belong here. The worst, the worst that this world can throw at us has very little power over us. So suffering with an attitude of Christ proves our faith is genuine. Peter wasn't just spewing rhetoric here. He wasn't saying, oh, it's good for you. Just stick it out for Jesus. He's what it's all worth. He'd actually been there and done this. He'd lived through this kind of thing. So back in Acts chapter 5, we're going to look at a few passages there. Peter and the other apostles uh, have received the Holy Spirit. They're building the early church. They're preaching regularly in the temple. And the Jewish Sanhedrin, the, the lawmakers, the ones that were behind Jesus' crucifixion, get jack of it. They've had enough. I'm sick of these guys. They're ruining the Jewish faith. They're teaching this nonsense about Jesus. Let's go sort them out. So they go and arrest them and chuck them in prison and forbid them to speak in the name of Jesus. Unfortunately, God has other plans and he goes and opens the jail doors and lets them out. So he sends an angel to do that. And they go right back to it, back in the temple, preaching and in the public square. Some bloke goes and tells the Sanhedrin as they wake up in the morning, they're like, what's it going to take to stop these guys? So they arrest them again and drag them in and say, how dare you? Preach in the name of this Jesus. We told you you can't do that. And Peter stands up, Acts 5, 29 to 32. Peter was there. He's lived through this. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter was there. He'd been chucked in prison. He'd been let out. He'd gone back to preaching, even though he'd been told not to. Then they get furious. They want to kill him on the spot. The law wants to kill him. But there's a bloke called Gamaliel that steps in and argues for them. And he basically says, if these guys are not from God, it'll just all Peter out. But if they're from God, you won't be able to stop them. So don't try. Just send them on their way and see what happens. And so, okay, sounds fair enough, they say. And but we've got to save some face. We've got to sort these guys out a little bit. So look at what verse 40, Acts 5, 40 and 41 says. Gamaliel's speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Cat and nine tails. You won't listen. We've got to save some face and punish you somehow. You're all going to go home pretty sore. Flogging wasn't very much fun. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So you didn't get the message the first time. We're going to give you hiding and tell you again. Maybe you'll get the message now. 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Did you catch the main point there? They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for his name. Wow. No wonder their teaching was filled with the power that turned the world upside down. These guys didn't seek out suffering. I'm not saying that there's some glory in going and trying to get yourself beaten up, or even worse, beating yourself up and saying, oh, it's for Jesus. No, they just obeyed what he'd called them to do. Go and teach in my name, proclaim it. They were simply obeying. But when the suffering came, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. Why? Because it proved their faith was genuine. This wasn't just a thing that they hung on to and then the first time it got hard, they bailed. They stuck it out 
and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer because it proved their faith was genuine. That is the attitude of an alien. You will not find a human being in this world that rejoices that they got beaten up for what they believed, unless it makes them look like a, a martyr and gets some good press. But they'll still, it'll be a very self-serving rejoicing. Okay, that's a value that's out of this world, rejoicing when you suffer for someone else's name, for simply obeying what they asked you to do. The second thing that this leads to is that suffering for Christ brings glory and honour to him. Back in verse, 1 Peter, in verses 7 and 8, another outcome of faithful suffering of believers is that it brings praise and honour. Jesus is glorified when his kingdom is revealed in us. That's what we're here to do, reveal him to the world. That's why we are still here, not zapped off to heaven as soon as we become believers. An alien kingdom needs ambassadors to recruit. That's what we're here for. When we live in accordance, in accordance with these values and embrace suffering as Jesus did, no one can deny that he's real. It was pretty hard for these guys to say, oh no, Jesus wasn't real. These guys won't stop talking about them, but oh, we know he's not real, it's all a fad. Because they couldn't shut them up, no matter what they did. Even if they flogged him and chucked him in prison, they kept going. Later on, they killed some of them. They keep going. And we're here as a result because of the faithfulness of Christians for many generations since. It's pretty easy to be an Australian today, right? Not too hard. We got it pretty good. It's a good system, mostly. The health system could use some work. The government system could use a lot of work. But hey, it's not too bad. For the average Joe, we get along pretty well. Um, that wasn't the case for the first settlers in Australia. That wasn't the case for the graves of a whole bunch of guys I visited at Gallipoli. To be an Australian was worth enough for them that they wanted to die for it. They were willing to die for it. And that was just an earthly cause, just a free Australia, a free world. How much better to suffer and die for the kingdom of heaven? Jesus actually rammed this home himself. He said, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Not loving the world, being an alien in the world, extends even to our own lives. Jesus said, if we love anything more than him, we are not worthy of him. So I'm not trying to belt you down or I'll get up here. And like any of us that get up here, I'm preaching as much to myself. I suck at this stuff. I'm not very good at not loving the world. I want a house more than anything for my girls to grow up in and call home. But... That's not God's plan for us at the moment. doesn't mean it won't always be, but I should not put that desire above obeying what he's called me to do. And nor should any of us. And the final thing that uh, the reason I say suffering is good for us and good for the world is that faithfulness in suffering proves the world is guilty. Peter brings this out a bit later, further down in, I think it's verse 17. But I'll go to John, um, John 15 where Jesus says something. He's talking about our dedication to Christ, to himself, no matter the cost. And he actually pretty much says, if you're faithful to me, no matter the cost, it will convict the world. John 15, 18 to 22. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. See, he said it, not just me. But I have chosen you out of the world. You're an alien. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. And there's our hint that there's more aliens out there we've got to find. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If we teach of God, if we teach the gospel to people, and then we back it up with being faithful through suffering, they have no excuse. They have seen God. They have seen his power. They have heard of him. We should expect to be treated with contempt because we follow a different Lord, a different set of values, a different pathway. We don't belong here. We have a different attitude to everything. The fact that, like, honestly, why should Steve care about Liam, Taylor, whoever the heck the person is that God loves deep down inside there? Why should he care? He only has to work with the bloke. It doesn't really affect him that much. He could just go, oh, yeah, whatever, whatever suits you, and get on with life. But I'm really encouraged. He does care. He's going to have a chat with him and say, hey, where's this coming from, mate? You know, let me understand this, and maybe I can offer some insight. He doesn't need to do that. That's an alien attitude. The world wouldn't care. Oh, yeah, whatever, mate. Whatever suits you. Grow your hair long. Call yourself a girl. Not too worried about it. That's an alien attitude, and that's a good attitude. We should expect to be treated with contempt because we follow a different Lord. Go back to Turkey with me. Uh, as I said, I was an alien. I was totally didn't know what I was doing. I eventually found my way home um, because another tourist took pity on me. She was a girl from Netherlands, I think, somewhere in Europe, and she spoke reasonably good English, even though it wasn't her first language, and she was able to tell me the way back to my hotel. So I got back there, and that was pretty good because um, I was due to go off, this was in the morning, and I was due to go off that afternoon on a tour to Ephesus, which I've talked about previously up here, the ruins of Ephesus. Um, and this is part of an interaction I had with um, the, the tour guide on the trip to Ephesus. His name was Muhammad, and he was very proud of it. He was a proud Muslim. Um, he told us so on the bus. Um, there were a few other Europeans, including the girl that I'd met on this trip, um, and when we got to the ruins of Ephesus, Muhammad made sure to tell us this was once a Christian place. The people of Jesus were strong here once upon a time. Uh, he had very good English. He'd been educated in America. Um, and he'd retained his Muslim faith and made a few converts while he was there. He told us all about it. Um, but his main thing that he wanted to show us in Ephesus, apart from the amphitheater and a few other bits and pieces, was the ruins of the Ephesian church. He said to me, well, he said to the whole group, fairly vehemently, Islam is the king here. There are no more people of Jesus here. This was once a strong place of Jesus, but Allah is now Lord, as he should rightfully be. This land all belongs to Allah now. And I was like, there are no people of Jesus here, eh? I'll show you. Wait a minute. I'm in Turkey, surrounded by a whole... Oh, dear. <laughs> the temptation to just... Don't say anything, keep quiet, just get out of here alive. Um, again, couldn't call out, didn't have any way of contacting anybody. The only Aussie there, the only person I kind of knew was this girl I'd met a few hours ago. But I thought, oh, Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So I said to him, there are some people of Jesus here. I follow Jesus. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. yeah, I know. Lots of tourists come here that follow Jesus and they all leave again. And one day, all the world would belong to Allah, just like this place did. Once there were many people of Jesus here, now there are none. And one day, that will be the whole world. And I was like, okay, done my duty. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And the rest of the trip, he didn't, you know, ignore me or revile me or persecute me or anything. He just looked at me condescendingly like, what a fool you are to believe that Jesus could ever win anywhere. 
Now, I don't think this bloke represents the whole of Turkey. More likely, he just considers it his religious duty as a Muslim and a fairly proud Muslim to educate tourists about the religious history of the Ephesian place. And he's right. We have a whole letter to the Ephesians. The Ephesian church is one of the strongest in um, early Christianity for many years. Um, this bloke firmly believed what he told me. His belief was that Allah would one day take over the world and belief in Allah would be the reigning religious system. And that was pretty scary. I wasn't persecuted. I wasn't hurt. He didn't even say anything nasty. He simply laughed at me and declared that his victory was assured. And that was pretty scary. It made me feel pretty lonely, pretty alien. And I realized then, this is what I should expect from this world. I don't belong here. This world doesn't love my Lord. And I should expect that. But it still made me feel pretty small. Okay, I know I'm running over time, but I've got one more section. Um, this is how should we live and function as aliens in this world. So back in 1 Peter. Come back to verse 13 with me. Therefore, so I've skipped a chunk there, um, and that's deliberate. Um, just talks about how the prophets looked into stuff and they were serving us because and the angels long to look into stuff that we know, but I've skipped all of that because it's not actually pertinent to the point I'm making here. It's important because it's in the Bible, but yeah, Peter's just making his case for how we are privileged as Christians because we have access to knowledge of grace and salvation that was not made available to the prophets, and not even the angels know all of the intricacies of a relationship with God that's uh, available to us. So, that section done. Starting verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Jesus said that, by the way. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What's he getting at? Well, we've got to live here. It's not like we're going to get zapped straight to heaven as soon as we become Christians. And that's a good thing for us and for the world. We become more like Jesus by staying here and the world gets to hear about Jesus because we are here. But we shouldn't act as if we belong here. We should constantly be changing to be more like our true home and the citizens of our true home and the king of our true home. We should be holy. We must stand apart, look so different from the rest of the world that we draw attention to ourselves and the name of Christ. That's how we reveal him to the world. It is his spirit that empowers us to rejoice in the face of suffering. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 4 and 6, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's only through the Spirit of God that you can rejoice in the face of suffering. When we lost our little baby boy um, a little while ago, um, a few years ago, before Naomi came along, it was pretty rough and it was pretty easy to think of that as suffering and whatever, but it's actually not. It's just a result of sin in the world and it's a horrible thing. And for anyone that's ever lost someone close to them, I'm not saying that you should rejoice that that happened. That's a rotten, broken consequence of sin in this world. 
But when God gives you an opportunity to be disgraced, to be shamed for his sake, for his name, for something you're doing for him, whether it's a Muslim guy declaring Allah will be victorious over you, or your relatives telling you you're an idiot for believing in Jesus, or some people that you're trying to help out in their yard that say, oh, you guys are trying to make yourself look pretty good here. I've actually had that once, one of the street teams who were doing, somebody said, oh, you guys are just doing this to make yourselves feel better about the world because you can't really do anything to change it. Okay, well, we've got to start somewhere. So yeah, whatever it is, when God gives you an opportunity to represent him and to suffer disgrace for him, rely on his spirit for the power to do it. And going through those experiences will transform you into his image. Once again, in 2 Corinthians, further down, 3, 17, 18, Paul says, the Lord is the spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Ben talked about not being slaves last week to the old nature, the old sin. Aliens are free because they don't belong here. And ultimately, they go home to where freedom is the natural state of being. We're not slaves in heaven. We are free. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So aliens are obedient. Aliens do not follow the patterns of this world. Aliens look forward to going home. Aliens spread their own culture around them. They are not blended unrecognizably into the culture that they're journeying through. We are aliens. We are visiting here. We act as ambassadors and representatives for our own country, our true home. Back in Turkey, on the last day there, I visited Gallipoli. That meant getting up at 4 a.m. and taking a subway across Istanbul to catch a bus down to the peninsula. It was December. It was very, very cold at 4 a.m. in the morning. It's winter in December over there, if you didn't know. It's about the same time, actually, as when the Anzacs pulled out of Gallipoli because they were freezing in the trenches. It rained and snowed and, yeah, they were freezing to death in the trenches. Um, I was pretty lonely the day before I'd had the Ephesian experience and I'd learned a lot, but I was, I was feeling the... Australia seemed a long, long way away and there was a bit of civil unrest in Turkey. It was just before the... Um, only a few months before the um, uprising over there and they were worried about... They'd shot down a Russian fighter plane recently and they were worried about enemies. So they had guards, armed guards with AK-47s uh, at the entrance to every subway station. And they didn't stop me or, you know, shoot me or anything silly. They just looked at me as I walked out while holding their AKs at the ready. And it was fairly scary. I was all alone. And I thought, oh, it'd be nice to see someone from Australia. Well, God's good. And as the bus to Gallipoli pulled up, I got on and I instantly felt safer and less lonely because I looked into the eyes of a fellow Aussie and I heard a familiar sound G'day, mate. Can you put the picture up, Sarge? The next um, slide, please. There should be pictures straight after the, the slide. Oh, anyway. Anyway, I met a bloke called Paul Tuck, and hopefully you can see a picture of him. Um, Paul was an Australian. He'd been raised in Sydney. He was currently living in England and working there in IT. I did IT. We had some commonality. Um, and... Paul was an agnostic. We spent the whole day together touring Gallipoli and talking about all sorts of things, family. He had a partner and they were just starting to try for kids. Abby was pretty little at the time. Um, so we're talking about that and what things you need to have, you know, to do well with kids and stuff like that. We really hit it off. 
and we enjoyed getting to know each other as we spent the whole day touring the peninsula. So Paul's the one with the camera. That's our Turkish guide. He called himself George because we couldn't possibly pronounce his name. Um, but he was pretty happy about having... And just to prove it's not a couple of randoms that I just <laughs> took a photo of. Next slide. See, I was actually there with Paul at the thing. <laughs> Photoshop. Yeah, anyway. Um, Paul was an agnostic. He had no time for God. But we had great camaraderie and we've stayed in touch ever since. We've emailed back and forth about a few things. He's got a little girl now. And interestingly, he and his partner called her Naomi, which was, ah, cool, dude. Anyway, so I've been able to share with him a bit about our Naomi and what we've learned um, about God and about ourselves through that. Now, Paul made me feel safe and less lonely and more comfortable because he was a glimpse of home, because he was familiar the accent, the, the whiteness, the, uh, um, the common background and history of, hey, we're Australians visiting Gallipoli. This is cool. This is what, thank, you know, thankful for what our fathers and forefathers did, and etc. And just hanging out with someone from Australia was pretty cool after having lots and lots of Turks. Now, Paul and I don't share the same faith. Maybe one day we will. That's my prayer. But I have to believe that God didn't just send him along for me. He sent me along for him. I needed Paul then and there. I needed someone to give me a bit of a taste of home. And I think that God needed to put me there for him, to be God's representative to him, to stay in touch with him as an ambassador, as an alien. Just like he made me feel comfortable and safe because he was familiar, that's how you should see each other. I think one of the things that really saddens Jesus as he looks at the world today is he sees Christians at each other's throats getting angry about who's more right and why we can't get along because you said that or she said that or he did this and I can't believe you would do that. Fellow aliens need to stick together. We need to come to church. We need to go and help each other out with stuff. We need to bless each other. We need to pray for each other. People were talking earlier. Alan said you could feel it when you were being prayed for. Luke said he saw the results of being prayed for because he got to his aunt's partner, forget his name, was reading his Bible. I mean, how, how much more of an invitation do you need? Um, in each other, we find glimpses of our common home, other ambassadors, other aliens, just like I found in Paul. So we must love and serve each other. Look around you today. All you should see is fellow aliens. This is an alien meeting to encourage aliens to stay on the path towards the alien home. So stay true, live holy, and call others to change as you've been changed. You don't belong here. Don't act like you do. And let me finish by reading the last few verses from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 20. Speaking of Jesus, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so you have a sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Humanity is the Imago Dei. In Christ we are not our own. We are bought with a price and we are aliens in this world. Thank you. <laughs>